This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Because if you can tell me what your habits are, I can tell you what sort of a person you are. I can tell you what your future looks like. But like I always say, life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% what you do about it. The people who are most effective in the workplace believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past. When people don't believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past, they begin to disengage. You're listening to The Circuit of Success, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve success in every facet of life, only on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Now, your host, Brett Gilliland. Welcome to The Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland. Today, I've got author, I've got speaker, I've got a CEO of a business, professor at University of Colorado in Boulder, uh, Dan Bruder. Dan, how you doing? I'm great. Thanks, Brett. How are you? I am good. It's good to be with you today. And uh, you're out in beautiful Colorado. I'm here in uh, O'Fallon, Illinois, and uh, we're just talking some weather. We're finally getting this nice weather dialed in, aren't we? Yeah, it is. We uh, we're getting a lot of rain now, which we needed. We we were hit by some pretty severe fires earlier this year, and uh, it disrupted our community. So, anytime it rains here in Colorado, we're we're happy as anybody can be. I bet, man. Get this stuff nice and wet so those fires don't take over. Yeah, that's true. Uh, tough, 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 tough year for you guys for sure. So, if you can, Dan, why don't you just kind of give us the lay of the land and what's made Dan Bruder the man you are today? We we're you know beforehand we talked about you know from banking to you know in the hotel business to the, all the stuff you're doing now. So you've had quite a uh, career and excited to talk to you about it. But what's what's really made you the man you are today? Well, um, I guess I'd have to say my wife, but uh, <laughs> my wife and my mom, right? Um, and uh, but going going out uh, outside of that into um, career stuff, you know, career wise, uh, you know, when I grew up in Florida and um, played sports, and we didn't, I didn't grow up in the best town, you could say. So it was it was like sports or some other things that weren't weren't really good. You know, school was secondary where I grew up, so uh, I chose the path of going and playing sports which I did until I realized I wasn't good enough to make it a career. So, um, so I stopped playing sports, but fortunately I was able to go to college and uh, get a degree. And uh, once I got out of school, I was um, even more fortunate to work with companies, um, particularly like you mentioned in the banking business where, you know, I worked for a bank that their motto was build your community, you build your bank. And I was like, well, that's kind of cool. And they started, they started investing in me and teaching me how to do various different things like serve customers, you know, <laughs> really basic stuff. And uh, they taught me about how to listen, be patient. Um, they taught me how to lead others. And then uh, after several years in banking, I left that and went, in, went into uh, the resort business with Marriott. And uh, Marriott kind of kept with that tradition and trained me how to uh, manage through change, uh, emotional intelligence, all these things. And then somewhere in the 90s, I was like, man, I'm, I feel really lucky because a lot of my friends that I grew up with didn't have that opportunity to work with really good companies that invested in their people. And what they were investing in was they, they wanted somebody that was going to help them succeed in business, these businesses. But the truth is, is everything they taught me helped me at home. 
It helped me in my community. It helped me with my relationship with my spouse. It helped me become a better father. It helped me become a better community member. And I was like, I, I couldn't imagine without being influenced by my organizations, these businesses that most people would say they're only there to make a profit. But man, I don't know where my life would be, not just financially, but interpersonally, intellectually, um, everything. I really look at I learned so much from business. So that I took forward. When I started consulting, I was like, man, we got to do something where businesses take a greater responsibility in developing the human side of the people that work for them. And that's not just, you know, this we want to invest in charities type thing. It's about really investing in the growth and development of their people. So um, that's what that's really was my cause several years ago. And it's really evolved into this concept of blendification, blending work and life. And there's other aspects of blendification as well. But to me, I feel like, you know, when, when you want to succeed in life, you really need to look at life as being blended as opposed to separate. And um, and that's kind of how, how I've gotten to where I am now. And there's a lot of other facets in there. But it's really about looking at, you know, what we do at work and make, making sure that that's impacting positively the people around us and our lives. Yeah, and I love how you call it blendification. We talk a lot about it here in our firm, uh, Visionary Wealth Advisors. We talk, to, we talk about that work-life balance people try to talk about. And it's there is no such thing, right? And I think in my research, you call it a myth, which I love because yeah. I actually absolutely agree. We, we talk about work-life integration. I learned that from a guy years ago in this podcast. And I like the word integration. I like blendification because no matter what's going on at home or at work, one's going to affect the other, right? Good or bad. And I think that's to your point, what, what you're really diving in with people is, is blending those two things together and, and eliminating the myth of work-life balance. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I did a TED talk several years ago and, and this concept of work-life balance. And I, I was exposed to this, you know, back in the 90s. And, and work-life balance to me was somebody making an excuse for, for working too much. It's like, oh, I need more balance in my life. I need more balance. Basically demonizing work, right? I mean, that's essentially what work-life balance means. It's, it's, it's an excuse to demonize what we do with most of our life, which is our work. You know, we spend nearly 40% of our waking time in work or work-related activities. And this concept of work-life balance basically demonizes a good portion of what we do. And I'm like, throw that away. Let's, let's just start over and say, let's look at our work as an opportunity to really enhance our life as opposed to this thing we dread. And um, if we look at it differently, a different lens, we might, we might, we might actually succeed more at work and in life, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So what, I mean, what made you go on that path? I mean, you could have stayed in the corporate America probably and continued to build a great career and have a nice life. Uh, but you decided to take, in my opinion, a lot of people don't take the risk and bet on themselves. You did do that. And I'm going to start this consulting gig. So talk to me more about that. Yeah, you know, there's there's been times where I, uh, I I thought a bet on myself wasn't really good. <laughs> I wanted to jump back into <laughs> corporate life, right? You know, it has it's uh, it has its ups and downs when we go out on our own. Um, but uh, to me, it was really about trying to do something that could make a difference. And I remember several years ago when I was still trying to figure out whether or not I was going to stay in this consulting thing or jump back into the corporate world, I said, you know, um, we only got one shot at this life and, and I'm pretty committed to what I'm doing. 
And um, I made the conscious decision to throw any other pursuits or offers from anyone else away and just say, hey, if this takes me 10 years, 15 years, um, I'm going to go after it because, you know, in entrepreneurship, you only need to be right once. That's right. <laughs> so um, so I, I stuck my head down and I really felt like I was being called to do this. And, um, you know, with all the different things that were happening, I just I just stepped back and said, I'm just going to go for it. And when I committed it, really, the information, the the research, everything started coming together. And it just it just seemed almost not, not easy because there was a lot of work, but it wasn't hard to find enough information um, and enough, uh, uh, really a platform to build this on. So um, believe me, you know, entrepreneurship's not for everyone. I teach entrepreneurship up at CU Boulder and um, my students sometime, sometimes ask me, in fact, this last semester, they asked me about halfway through, why are we spending so much time on the psychology of business? And I said, because entrepreneurs typically don't fail because they have a bad product or they ba- have um you know, a bad market. It's usually because they run out of staying power, either from a financial right. perspective or motivation. And I think it's mostly motivation. They just yeah. lose it, you know, and they, they just stop. And, uh, you know, they started seeing the, the need for um, greater emphasis and learning on the psychology of business, which I think we all need that, not just entrepreneurs, right? Well, absolutely. That's what this whole podcast is about is the psychology behind, you know, the mindset, if you will, behind your attitude, your belief system, the actions ultimately get your results in life. That's what the circuits of success are. Because man, no matter if you're selling widgets or you're selling financial planning or you're what, you know, whatever it is you're doing, man, it it is a grind, right? And I think when I look back, you used the word committed. You said, when I committed, there, I'm assuming I shouldn't do that, but I'm going to. You probably didn't have like a plan B written out and ready, right? Plan A was the plan. Is that is that fair? Yeah, you know, initially I had a plan B because it was to go back into the corporate world. And as long as I had that yeah. plan B, I wasn't fully committed to plan A. Um, it's funny you say that. There was a, I was in a meeting one time with a group and um, we're sitting around and we said, what's plan A? And we said, this is plan I, A. And we went over that. And then somebody said, well, what's plan B? And they said, make plan A work. So, yeah, exactly. exactly. You know, and, and, and I always think about that. But to, the truth is, is that when I had a plan B or a fallback plan, I wasn't fully committed. And it wasn't to the point where I said, you know, let's just take the time parameters away from this and let's just go after it. And that, that's when plan A and plan B became the same. Yeah. And they have to become the same. I mean, I look back a little over eight years ago when we started Visionary, it was this this thing, right? It was the industry I was in, but, you know, you don't realize the risk that you're taking when you start a company from scratch. And I look back and I'm, I'm in, you know, not in an arrogant way, but I'm just like, man, the things I didn't know then uh, that I know now that, you know, maybe if I did know them, I wouldn't have done it. You know, and I think until you get in, so many people want to, what is analysis by paralysis by analysis, right? And so many things that you want to do, if you actually knew them all, you wouldn't do it, right? We'd all talk ourselves out of it. We all have that little voice, I think, telling us no. So when you hear me talk like that, what comes to mind for you? Well, you know, you, you, you say some really good things there because, um, you know, a lot of people ask, you know, would, would you do things differently? And I'm like, oh, yes. Right. <laughs> I would do a lot of things differently if, if I knew then what I know now. In fact, I probably wouldn't do what I have done if I would have known what I was going to have to do. <laughs> exactly right. 
so so it, when I look back over time, I would do so many things differently. And and the neat thing about all this is that I even look where we are now and the opportunity in front of us. And I go, I feel like we're we're just constantly starting because as soon as we think we have it figured out, the world shifts, uh, markets shift. Um, we shift, we, we change our interests, um, what, what motivates us change. So there's this constant evolutionary process to fit product to market, to fit personalities with products. And, um, and, and I think, um, you know, I don't think we, or at least I'll speak for, for me, I've never really gotten to the point where I think I've got this one figured out. Um, and, um, and I know that, uh, you know, the next few years are going to be pretty crazy too. And it's just, there's, there's so much, um, excitement and potential out there. It just blows my mind. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot we can do if we just keep an open mind to change yeah. and, and adaptation. But don't you think that's what makes the, the great, great, right? I mean, if you, if you sat there and thought, okay, I've got it all figured out, man, I, I know a through Z it's perfect. I've got it all figured out. I'm not trying to learn anymore or be a student of the game, which I'm going to talk about in a little bit, but don't you think that's kind of the hubris there that it allows you to stay successful by not thinking you got it figured out? Yeah, I think um, I, there was a point in my career that I, I was in a really good place. I, I was working for a good company. Um, things were good. I, I felt like, man, I'm on. I've reached the point where I wanted to get. I was making good money. I wasn't, um, you know, I wasn't traveling all over the place. I was close with my family, and then the world fell apart. Right, around 2008. And, um, yeah. and, I, and I thought to myself, man, that feeling of comfort didn't really last that long. <clears throat> I later learned that um, one of the great false pursuits in life is this pursuit of comfort. And um, we seek comfort by trying to have more money. And most people who have more money live a very complicated life. And, um, and, and so I don't know. In fact, my, my business partner and I talk about this quite a bit. It's like when, once you reach a certain amount, we think that money is going to cure all these ills, but it really creates more complexity in our lives. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, th this whole idea around, you know, looking at money as the as our sheer um, sheer outcome or singular outcome really puts us down a path of disappointment later on when we find out it wasn't what we really wanted. Yeah. And I don't think you're ever going to find the, the, the number, right? Like what's the number, what's enough, you know, no matter, I mean, being in the wealth management business since, you know, for 20 plus years now, I, all I do is talk about money every day with people. Right. And, and I know people that have this much money that are extremely happy or extremely not happy. I know people with this much money, right. That are extremely happy or not happy. And it's just, it's amazing to me that you must be reading my notes here because I said, how do we get comfortable being uncomfortable? Because for me, I'm, I am very comfortable being uncomfortable. And if, it, if there's not enough going on in my life, that's when I kind of get stressed out. Yeah, that, that's a really big issue, Brett, because we look at what's going on in society and how, you know, and I'll, I'll be the first to admit the one who raised their kid by making sure things weren't were a little easy. <laughs> you know, and now I have older kids, 25 and 21. Fortunately, they, uh, they've, they've turned out fine. But I look back at the way I raised my kids and said, did, did I make it easy? Did I try to make it too comfortable for them? And, um, 
But, uh, you know, how do we how do we get comfortable with the uncomfortable? I think there's a lot to do with ex, um, experience. Um, several years ago, uh, 2017, uh, my, my daughter went to the Air Force Academy and uh, she went through basic training for six weeks when she oh. went there. And at the end of that, there was this thing called Acceptance Day or A-Day, and that's where they're accepted into the cadet wing. But there was a speaker called um, the Colonel Gary Payton spoke. And of course, my daughter doesn't remember any of this when I tell it to her, but, but he stood up and he talked to all the cadets and he said, you've accomplished something that very few people will ever do. And you didn't accomplish this on your own. You needed somebody to do this. And he, he dropped the phrase that I just, I've really attached to this thing called earned success. So when we talk about comfort and un, um, being comfortable with the uncomfortable, it's about earning our success as opposed to having our success granted to us or given to us or inherited or so That's strong. Like that. So if we look at earned success, it's really about earning something, doing something we didn't think we could do, relying on others to get there. And then when we do it, we actually say that's what it's all about. I was uncomfortable, but I really feel good about that. And, and this idea of happiness too happiness, something needs to happen to be happy. But are we really pursuing happiness or are we pursuing something that is fulfilling, you know, joy in our lives? And that only comes through this thing called earned success, you know, hard work that pays off in the long run. And along with this comes a lot of failures, too, by the way. And yeah. that's how we get comfortable, I think, by failing a little bit. Yeah, and I think but I love this concept. It's about earning our own success. I, I mean, when you really, truly think about it, I, I look back. And I'm just my mind's going a thousand different directions right now because of this thought just of my career. And I, I look the times I've done well or the times even I've seen people that I work with do well or not do well. It, it's you know, you can physically get sick by not performing at your best abilities throughout the week, right? You, you see people that have the colds, they, they get colds all the time, they're always sick. And, and I'm no doctor, I'm no psychologist, I'm none of that stuff, but I've studied people enough to know that I know the people that live up to their abilities day in and day out get sick less often because I truly sure. believe that the body it shuts down when it, when it knows it's not doing what it's capable of doing. And then that's when the virus comes and attacks. Right. So I think this earned success, man, is a, is a great concept to talk more about that more and more people, I think got to focus on that stuff. Yeah, I think that's uh, it. it and, and from a leadership perspective and inside an organization, um, it's really about creating opportunities that are challenging for people to succeed. So a lot of times I come in and I, I talk to organizations and I, I talk about this idea of blendification where work and life are connected and people misinterpret that I'm saying that work needs to be a catalyst to make it easy for everybody at home. And I'm actually saying the opposite because if we, if we as leaders of an organization make it easy for our people, the good people will go find somewhere where it's hard. And the people who want it easy will stay. So this this is really turning it all upside down. If we have to we have to live with this idea around blendification, but then we have to put in there this concept of earned success that makes things challenging. And as leaders, we should actually be forcing our employees to work hard towards something meaningful. Now, if we don't have anything meaningful, they're working hard towards nothing and they're gonna go find meaning somewhere else. Yep. So we'd have to have meaning 
in order for that the success needs to have meaning to them and it has to be hard and i think that's where a lot of people miss it is they they, they think that you know this is about just being nice all the time and, and actually it's not it's about really challenging people but letting them know we're going to challenge you because you will grow more when you're challenged you're going to look back on life in this segment of time that we spend together with greater trust and greater fulfillment based on how you perform in hard areas, not easy areas. So how are you doing that for your own companies? Like, are you, how, like, can you give us an example of what you're doing to challenge your employees that not only is about work, but also the life side of it, right? The personal side of it. What are you doing personally? Well, what we do at, at the top of this is um, we, we have created what I call the strategy whiteboard. And that's really how businesses navigates their path to the future. And, and that's kind of a structured process where I use strategy whiteboard, but contained within the strategy is identifying what the culture of the organization is, the organization's cause, its intentions, its behaviors and habits. And we put that out there as really what we define as culture. And that becomes what we're shooting for as an organization. And, um, and then from that, we go through and we develop a unifying objective and then a series of strategic focus statements and strategic outcomes around various different areas within the organization. So that what, what we do with that is that really encapsulates what's going on in a business, where it's going and what really creates meaning within the business. Now, the employees have to attach to that. So we've, we've actually developed software around this strategy whiteboard app. But the thing is, is we wanted to also incorporate the people's personal lives. So that's a business navigation platform. So what we also created alongside that or adjacent to that is what we call a personal whiteboard. So now each each employee in an organization can plan and build their life and identify their pursuits in this using the same framework that the business does. So we have a strategy whiteboard for the business and a personal whiteboard, and they look the same. So what we do in that, when we do that, it, what we, we start seeing is that the employees start stretching their own personal goals through the personal whiteboard. Since they're developed the same, they start looking at the strategy whiteboard and saying, what's the business doing here? What's the business's cause? Where's the business going? What outcomes is the business pursuing? And we see this um, natural coming together of employees and uh, the business, which is really, really cool. And I don't think we've really looked at, you know, this idea of blendification. I mean, a lot of people say, yeah, work impacts life and so forth. But what are we doing about it? Like, how are we how are we going and giving the employees the opportunity to use the same strategic management tools we use in the business, but for their personal lives. And then they start growing together. It's a really cool thing when you start seeing employees stretching themselves and then checking back with the business and say, how do I contribute to the business if the business has meaning and purpose? That's right. Well, you, you look at like a tree, like a tree, right? The, the, the culture could be the tree, but each branch is a different part of that, yeah. that uh, organization, right? That we all as employees of a company bring to the table. And, and I think that's where we've got to get better. So, so how important is, would you say a clear vision is, that's articulated from the top. So you as a CEO of a company, whether you have five employees or 500 employees, how important is that clear vision articulated from you to everybody else in the company? Well, gosh, if we were to put it on a scale of one to 10, I think we would all say it's gotta be a 10. Now, some people yeah. call it vision, some people call it mission, 
purpose. Um, we, we call it cause and intention. But but without that, you're really you've got a rudderless boat, basically. So that that really becomes our first focus anchor because as leaders, what our job is is we need to anchor focus for the employees, and the vision, mission, cause, intention really becomes that first focus anchor, so that we can anchor the organization's focus down and say this is where we're going. So um, I, I completely agree that man without that, but with that, that does that doesn't mean we're going to be successful. There's plenty of mission statements right. out there that that really um, don't replicate or represent what the organization is really all about. And that's to me, that's not a blended company. So we talk about blending work and life. There's another level of blending, and that is this is who we are. This is who we say we want to be as an organization, or this is who we aspire to be. But then we act differently. You know, and that we really need to blend that vision, as you say, throughout everything we're doing inside the organization, strategically, operationally, culturally. And that's a process, by the way. So that's another another level of blendification. Yeah. And I think it's it's so important. You said on a scale one to ten, it's a ten. I, I agree. I think uh, on, the, on the tough side of that, though, is it's constantly working and building. So like if we put together a one year, a three year, a 10 year, whatever the number is, right. It's like, okay, we focus on that, but how do you stay committed day in and day out to something that's 10 years away? <laughs> well, it's funny. You mentioned the tree analogy. Um, man, we, 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 we've done this a lot and, um, the below below the strategy we have you know we have culture then we have our strategy and then we have this execution how we execute strategy what we've created is um you know you mentioned the tree the trunk and the branches i'll even go down into the roots so we've created roots groups within organizations and through our software that the roots groups are responsible for executing on the strategic platform that enables the organization to reach its desired goals and vision and mission so there's a whole there's got to be a whole process under this because you know you've heard the saying um culture eats strategy for breakfast right yep yep you know and and i say gosh why do we have to choose you know, why, why do we have to live in this world of absolutes? I think, you know, culture, strategy, but then I'll even throw in operations and execution. All of that together makes a pretty darn good meal. So why don't we look at it that way? Why don't we look at, you know, all these things together rather than saying, well, if I got to choose one, I'm going to choose culture. But we don't have to choose one. We can choose all of them. And in order to in order to maximize our success, we have to integrate an operating model that allows us to achieve our vision and our mission. And without that, the vision and mission is nothing more than just a platitude written on some wall somewhere in an office. Yeah. And I think that reminds me of my, one of my favorite quotes is the, it's the abundance of the and versus the tyranny of the or, right? And it's such a strong statement when you're like, so the abundance of the and versus the tyranny of the or, it's not strategy or vision to your point, right? It's, it's strategy and vision and operations, and culture, and compliance, and finance, right? And all those things, right, that we have to worry about. And I think so many of us, we get caught up in this world of the or world, whereas I try to, to tell people we, we want to live in the and world. Let, let's let's focus on that strategy, but let's also go out there and get our next thing done that we need to get done as well. So um, so let's keep talking on this thing. So when you, when you think about the being a student of the game, like what do you do? I love you. You used the word habits earlier. Like what are, what are your habits right now that you do not miss? I follow you around every day with a camera. What am I going to see day in day out from Dan Bruder? 
Well, um, <clears throat> I actually track my habits. So we, we're, foundationally, we, I believe that habits um, really represent who we are and who we are becoming. So, uh, so we, we've created a tool for basically a habit chain or a habit tracker. And um, within an organization and personally, um, if we want to become something, the first place we need to start is looking at our habits. And Charles Dewey said in his book, The Power of Habits, that habits represent something like 40% of our day. Like we don't even think about it. It's just wow. autopilot. So if, if, if that's true, then our habits are going to either lead to success or failure. Um, and so if we're going to change or we want to grow, we need to first look at our habits. So to your point, what, what habits are they? For me personally, I've got a series of habits. Um, so I've, I, I want to create spiritual disciplines within my life. So that's, that's one of the, at the top. I, um, another habit personally is that I want to spend at least an hour with my wife a day. And another another one is to talk to my kids or text my kids each day. Um, now, I don't do this every single day, but I rate myself whether or not I've done it. And some days it's a yellow, some days it's a green, some days it's a red. Um, some business type things is making sure that I'm thinking of my business through the, a long term lens as opposed to short term. And that was really to overcome some anxiety about what happens. You know, if you have a big sale and it doesn't happen, it's not the end of the world. So um, other ones are to within businesses to make sure that I'm focusing on outcomes rather than obstacles. And when we focus on obstacles and they overshadow our, our outcomes, we, we actually don't never we never see our outcomes. So those are some of the habits that if you were to follow me around, I will do most of those every day. But I actually rate myself on those every single night. And um, some some days I succeed, some days I fail. But when, when it becomes a habit, what I find, you know, 45 days after I put that on there, if I'm doing pretty well, I can drop it off and replace it with another habit later on because yep. they become habits. I don't have to think about them anymore. Yeah, we couldn't be more aligned, man. I call it Focus 90. 90 days. I've even created a booklet over the last, you know, 20 years of my life. Things have helped me. I've got this, you know, future greater than your past binder. And it's 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 easy. When, and I say this not in a negative way, but the simplicity of what you talked about, right? Like you're not curing cancer, right, with that. But it's these little things. But these little things done daily and kept track of. So you know. And you got to be honest with yourself. I either did or I did not, right? There's no in between. You don't kind of text message your kids. You don't kind of call that client. You either did or you did not, right? right, right. And now at the end of the day, I'm going back through here with my scorecard and I'm gonna plan all that stuff and say, did I win or did I lose, right? And if I can win more days than not, and, and what I had to learn was to not focus so much on perfection and focus more on just momentum, right? The things going in that right direction. Yeah, that's the cool thing about it. And uh, I noticed you got a book. I used to, I used to do this um, on a on a with a binder like that, but we've digitalized it, and it's all it's all in our our, our personal whiteboard. So it's a whole habit tracker. But, Love it. Um, just like that. So it's you just go in every night and you just click on it. But the, what you just said was pretty interesting. Is that I, I basically. Um, I seldom achieve 100% on all my evaluations of myself each day. Yep. But the sheer fact that I know I have to look at that at night and evaluate myself makes it more likely I'm going to do it at some point during yeah. the day. And that's what we're trying to do. It's, 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 you know, it's that personal accountability that we really need to bring into our lives. And so many times we see, 
know, um, we, we go to a seminar or something like that and you get this information and it goes nowhere because there's no repetitive um, self-accountability that has to come in uh, in, into our lives. And, uh, And if we can, you know, if we simply just if we can plan our habits, we will be so much more successful in life and more fulfilled going back to what we were talking about earlier. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's in whether you, whether you're doing it on your phone or iPad or a piece of paper, there's something, there's power in there of knowing, like for me, it's, it's this little box. I've got a circle in the box for you. I'm assuming on your app, it's clicking something and now it's, it's checked, right? There is power in that man, because now that self accountability is, you know, at whatever nine o'clock tonight, you're going to crank that thing on and be like, "Uh, again, I either chose to do it or chose not to do it. And I think that's another key word for me is choice. Yeah. Right? It's it's not somebody else's choice, right? It's it's Brett Gilliland's choice or it's it's Dan Bruder's choice. Right? Nobody yeah, else. I, I listened to your um your introduction, your speech that you talked you started out at. I think it was a a conference you did and, and you talked about choice. And, yeah. Um, I to- I completely agree with you. I I don't know if we realize that we are today, we are where we are, we are who we are based on the choices we made and you know, the funny thing about choices is, is that there's only one person that's been present for 100% of our bad choices in life. And that was <laughs> me, right? There's nobody else. This guy. has been there right. for every single yeah. one of them. Just me. There's a common, yeah. there's a common thread there, right? But yeah, I, I listen to what you're saying on, on choices and I, and I, I agree with you, man. If we, if we look at our choices, then the bad news is that some of our bad choices have really brought us to where we are today. The good news is, is that our future choices will lead us to where we want to go. So if we could actually pre-decide or pre-choose yeah. with very significant things in our life, we, we could actually get on the path to where we really want to go. Yep. So um, when you think about your fears, I ask this question all the time and I, I jokingly said to myself, I was thinking about there, do I ask this for myself or am I asking this for everybody? But, but it is for everybody. But, but I think how many of the fears you've put in your mind have actually blown up to the magnitude you put them in your mind to be? Well, I, I think none. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, mo- most of the time what I found is that most the things that I worry about, 99 percent of them never come true. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, and this coming from a guy, sorry to interrupt, that's a two time cancer survivor. Right. So you've had yeah. the big you've been in a doctor's room. They've given you really bad news. I'm assuming there were some fears that went up here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when, when you hear those words, um, it, it's weird because. Uh, you know, a lot of things set in your in your mind and you start thinking, wow, what does this mean? You know, I lost my dad to cancer at a very young age. So, you know, that's actually really, really talk about fears. I mean, I can't tell you how many fears I have in life as a result of losing my dad at seven years old. And, you know, I didn't think about this when I was 18, but now I look back and go, you know, I, I ride my bike excessively. I swim. I do all these different things. I, you know, there's so many different things I do because I just don't want to experience that same fate, that fear. And I, I don't know how to get over that, man. But I, I do, I do believe that fears, they can motivate us, but they also can be very, very debilitating too. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it's uh, and I have a lot of them too. I'm still my wife, wife and I talk about that all the time. We call we call it shadows, you know, yeah. um, or shadow focus. And and it's it, it really these these shadows that are that are always with us. You know, they shine. They they, yeah. they come out when the light shine on us. Light shines on us. You know. 
Yeah. And I think that's why I was saying earlier that I, I don't know if I asked this for myself or for everybody, but I mean, you're the 293rd person I've interviewed and <laughs> had the luxury of doing this. And I've asked probably 260 of those people that question, uh, if not more. And it's it's rare. I mean, I, don't, I mean, I can maybe less than one hand. I wouldn't even need for the people to say, "Oh yeah, they blew up," you know. But they even said though the things that did blow up to their biggest fears, the response or what happened after that fear actually came true, wasn't as bad, right? So the bad thing happened, but the outcome wasn't as bad, right? And which is kind of the same thing. But I, but I but I agree. We all have those shadows to use your words there. And it's how many of them come true. And I think the more and more we can hear that from people, for me, it gives me peace, right? That if I start driving on the road, I'm having that anxiety, I'm having that fear about something, whether it's personal or work-related, whatever it may be, is to slow down and say, you know what, dude, how many people have told you none of these fears come true? So let's really start to boil this down. Let's get in the weeds and think what, what's actually going to probably happen here. Yeah. And, and, you know, fears, um, a lot of, like you say, they never come true, but what happens sometimes, and I do that, I'm, I'm saying we, but it's, I'm really saying me, Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I, I will invent a bad outcome, um, and be fearful of that. And then when it doesn't happen, I go, Oh good. It wasn't quite as bad as I thought it would be. Right. So then I start creating this circular reinforcing thought process to predict the worst and then when the worst never comes, I should, I, I'll yeah. feel relatively good based on the, the outcome. And I, I think, you know, I know I do that. Um, and, uh, it's, it's something to be cognizant of, but I think that's, yeah. that's a problem with a lot of people. You know, there's also this idea of self handicapping out there too. Um, that, 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 uh, really impacts our ability to really go after something meaningful. Yeah. So when you hear the words, um, so this is, you see this on my microphone here, this F greater than P it's our future greater than your past. That's our firm's mission statement. It's, it's what we do, right? That's, that's what we're about is we're helping people achieve a future greater than your past. And not that your past was bad, but when you hear those words, helping people achieve a future greater than your past, what comes to mind? Well, a couple things. Um, the, our past is there for us to make our future better. So really, that's the benefit of our past. You know, so many times I, we look back and say, you know, I, I want to create memories and happiness and so forth. And I want to smile and look at all these parties I went to and such yeah. when I was a kid. But the truth is, is that in the current day and in our future, the only benefit of our past or the best benefit of our past, it really gives us the opportunity to create a better future. Um, so, so that's one thing that comes to mind. Um, and the other thing really goes back to what we were talking around on choices and decisions. We can easily go back and look at our past choices and decisions and relate those to our current and future decisions and avoid making those mistakes. I mean, it's, it's pretty cool that we've had this ability to do certain things over these years, which are just basically training us for the future. Yeah. Right. And, um, you know, we, we can get better. And that's that's the odd thing about it. I, I, I really I met I actually recently I met some folks that were working with a large company and they're about ready to retire. And they're probably like 60 years old. And they're like, well, we've had a good run, you know, and I'm like, oh, I said, man, how could you be so Eeyore-ish, you know, <laughs> like, man, we need to keep going until we can't go anymore. I was with it this morning. I was in the gym with a guy who's 65 years old and he's working out. He works out all the time. And he goes, man, I'm, I'm coming here. He goes, I'm, I'm afraid I'm, I'm going to keep coming here until they lock me out because I don't I'm just going to keep getting better and better and better. He just doesn't yeah. see the end. 
And uh, so the, the, when you, we look at the, the past and future or future greater than past, that's kind of what I'm thinking of. It's like, yeah, the past exists for a reason. And one of those reasons is to help us to create a better future. Yeah. It's funny. I played in a golf tournament yesterday on Memorial Day and I, my playing partner, you get randomly drawn with these people. Right. And, and this gentleman was 77 years old and, you know, we're talking and we're driving the golf cart. And, and he said, you know, I, I, I play golf three days a week. I play tennis two days a week. I play pickleball one day a week. I ride my bike. Uh, and he's like, you know, I'm going to go drive a tractor for a buddy on his farm. I mean, the dude is active, right? And he's like, I played hockey until about two or three years ago. Here's a 77-year-old guy playing hockey till he's 75. And, you know, he had as much energy as the rest of us out there yesterday. I'm like, man, that's, that's inspiring, man. That's the stuff that I want to I see, you know, in my life. Well, I have to ask you, one of, one of your guests said that they played golf with you and you had a pretty mean driver. So, so <laughs> I forget who it was, but one of the guys. Yeah, Joe that, Buck. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's yeah. right. Yeah, was, he said that he played golf with you and you uh, you, you could hit it pretty far. So, yeah. Um, so if, if that guy was playing with you, that's a, that's a pretty good sign, huh? It was it was good. Uh, it was a good partnership here. I, I I do the driving and and he could do the putting. That's what we decided yesterday. He kept making these putts. I'm like, man, alive! I I need this guy with me all the time. I'll do the driving. You do the putting. We'll be good. So, um, well, this has been awesome, man. So tell us about uh, where we can find more of your stuff. Where, where do our listeners dial into you? Yeah, um, uh, if, if you're interested in this concept of blendification, we've we've created a full um, software application that blends work and life through, like I said, the strategy whiteboard and personal whiteboard. So my uh, my um, website is blendification.com. Um, conceptually, I did a TED talk, so you can you can Google um, Dan Bruder TED talk, and you'll find a TED TEDx uh, on blendification. And, um, you know, LinkedIn and, and whatever is all out there. So, yeah, I always, I always love to hear from people. So reach out if you have any concepts. If somebody's going, no, work-life balance, man, I've been seeking that. I'm, I'm, I'm stuck on that. And they want to debate that, you know, shoot me a note. I'd love to have that conversation. Yeah. And so with that, if I'm the person going, getting the app, it's on my iPhone or iPad, whatever, uh, tell me more about that. What, what exactly am I going to be doing? So I'm going through a strategy session that you ask, not you, but the app asked me questions. Yeah, essentially what we've done is we're, we've created a new um, space or industry category called consult tech. So well, one of the things I was frustrated with is that as a consultant, I could only touch like 5% of the company, you know, only the ones that would spend a lot of money. And that was usually the C-suite. And um, so in order to really create what we were trying to do as an organization, and that is really bring work and life together, we needed to touch every single human being in the company with the same sort of content we would do with the um, with the executives so that's so that so really it's it's going into the software and basically just uh, sending us a note and we'll get them set up on the on the um, strategy whiteboard and personal whiteboard so if you got you know a five person company or a 5000 person company you can actually build your strategic platform and we embed the consulting inside the app so we left the consulting business and we basically okay. put all our consulting materials in Inside the apps. It's pretty cool. That's awesome, man. Well, we'll definitely put all that in the show notes and where to find more of you, man. It's been great having you on the circuit of success. I really enjoyed the conversation and, uh, and here's to many more years of success for you. All right. Thanks, Brett. This has been fun. Tune in next week for another episode of the circuit of success with Brett Gilliland on the lineup media.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, 
Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm. 